This edition of Montgomery Talks Education with Doug Tallman is one of a three-part series called MCPS 2020. For other points of view, be sure not to miss the other episodes. Hello and welcome to Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tallman, senior reporter with Montgomery Community Media, and this is our regular podcast on Montgomery County issues. Today I'm talking with Jennifer Martin, who's vice president of the Montgomery County Education Association. She's an English teacher at Watkins Mill High School. She's been a teacher since 2002, and she's been the vice president of the organization for the last four years. How many people are in MCEA? We have over 14,000 unit members. Unit member is essentially a mm-hmm. teacher? We have teachers, psychologists, counselors, and other certificated professionals. And the school system has something, what, 140-some thousand students? No, it's well over 160,000 now and growing. We're the fastest-growing school district in the state. Right. And there's 250 schools? It's, uh, I think, 226 now. 226. As everyone knows, Montgomery County is a huge school district. On March 11th, I believe this is a date, several thousand teachers and other educators and other people just interested in education descended on Annapolis for a march. I believe uh, the Associated Press reported about 5,000 people were there. Tell us about the march. What did you see? A lot of folks standing up on behalf of the children that we serve. It was not just educators. It was uh, parents and students were with us as well. But certainly there were hundreds of people who came from Montgomery County. My colleagues were out in force. We had busloads of people arriving from different parts of Montgomery County who assembled in Annapolis to join others from other counties to march to show our support of full funding for public education. What do you think the march accomplished? Well, I think that marches are really a starting place or a point of punctuation to show that there is a shared vision for change that's needed. And uh, folks don't get out at the end of a busy day of work. And teachers are pretty tired by the time the last school bus rolls off the uh, parking lot. And uh, there are plenty of papers to grade and plans to make for the day ahead. But there was a real commitment to standing up on behalf of our students to fight for the funding that our kids deserve. And a lot of that revolves around this upcoming Kerwin Commission. Right. This is really a a once-in-a-generation opportunity for Marylanders to think about how do we fund our schools. And this would, what Kerwin has studied is a way to look at the per-pupil funding for public schools. Uh, This hasn't been done since the early 2000s with the Thornton Commission. So the Kerwin Commission, named after the uh, chair of that group, has been looking at what are the current needs that our students have. There have been a lot of changes in the past 20 years to the makeup of our schools. Montgomery County has seen tremendous shifts in increases in students needing special education services and English language learning services. Also, the number of students on free and reduced meals has also been increasing through that time. And that is, uh, you know, been a, a situation that other counties across the state have also been experiencing. So there's a need to rethink are we providing for the the children we have today rather than the children we had back in the early 2000s? 
The other issue is look at how our world has changed. You know, I think about when I started teaching, which was around that time, around 2002, you know, I didn't have a cell phone. I could get by with still having a landline. Now all my students have smartphones, you know, and down in even into the elementary school years, we are using handheld devices and laptops in the classroom, the access to information on the web, the movement away from textbooks, all that changes the way we need to think about education funding. I assume that there's some angst built around Kerwin in terms of how Montgomery County is going to fare. You mentioned the Thornton Commission. The precursor to the Thornton Commission was a, a lawsuit filed by Baltimore City, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. to the state saying that not enough funding was going to Baltimore City. And one would assume that the converse to that is too much money was going to other jurisdictions mm-hmm. if not enough was going to Baltimore. So Montgomery County being at least the reputation of being an extremely wealthy jurisdiction, would it not stand to reason that Montgomery County may lose money as a result of Kerwin? Well, I think that you're right to to talk about the um, issues of equity within the state. And you're a better historian than I uh, about, uh, you know, what may have gone into the um, thinking around Thornton. What I would say is that this is not about moving something away from another jurisdiction and toward someplace else where the need is greater. The needs are great across the state. So as an educator, what I'm interested in is fighting to make the pie bigger. As I said earlier, we have the fastest growing school system in the state, and we have had a tremendous shift in the needs of our students. They are coming to us increasingly with needs for the supporting services, whether it's mental health care or the special education accommodations, English language learning, add-ons and enrichment. Those are real, and those don't come free. So the Kerwin Commission, as I understand it, Councilmember Craig Rice serves on it. We have at least local representation on the commission. Um, There may be others. Is there a time frame of when their reports do? Well, there have been a series of delays, right? So now I think we're looking at something rolling out next year that they're currently trying in the state legislature to set aside funding to start to move the funding forward because this was the point of the march. Our children can't wait. You know, if you're a first grader now, You need the resources now to be able to have academic success. You only get that one chance. So we're really fighting because we've seen that the schools have been chronically underfunded for the past 10 years. We're not paying currently at the rate we had been spending on students per pupil 10 years ago. To me, as a teacher, The kid I'm teaching today is worth as much as the child I taught 10 years ago, and I'm not even correcting for real dollars. We're talking nominal dollars here, not adjusted for inflation. And you know things haven't gotten cheaper in these past 10 years. So I think that's why there's such a sense of urgency on the part of educators to say, let's get this right. Let's do it now. Let's have courage to pay for what we know our children need because it benefits us all when we have a well-educated citizenry. Now, of course, the march was in Annapolis because that's the state capital Mm -hmm. and the General Assembly is in session. What's your sense of how the General Assembly is going to vote on uh, greater uh, education funding? I don't have a crystal ball. I could turn that back to you. I really don't know, but I do know that teachers are going to keep advocating and pushing for what we feel our students need. Uh, My understanding is the House, I think, has moved something forward. I don't know where it is in the Senate right now, but we are hopeful that the legislators are going to 
do the right thing by our students. And we have been asking for $325 million in additional dollars set aside for education this year. Teachers are a significant, well, if nothing else, a political force in the state. So I, it would stand to reason that maybe you don't get $325 million, but you're going to get more than zero. Is that fair uh, to say? We are very hopeful. And I think that the reason that we are a political force is because we also, we have the moral high ground here. We're asking because we see what our children need every day, and we see those needs going unmet. We feel ourselves at the breaking point trying to provide for the kids that we have in the classroom. And teachers will give and give, but there is a point at which people give out. And I think that's part of what you're also seeing, the sense of I can't do any more personally as a teacher without more help from the community. And that really comes from funding. That's how we make things happen. Okay, and that funding is coming from everybody's taxes. Right, right. I mean, I'm a proud Montgomery County taxpayer myself. I'm, I moved back to Montgomery County after college because I knew this would be a great place to raise kids. I knew that my taxes were not going to be low. I knew that I was going to get great services for me and my family. And this was a very livable place. And I think that's what many Montgomery County residents, the majority of us feel. We're here because we want to live in a welcoming and supportive community with good services. So $325 million. Montgomery County is a, a million people. There's six million people in the state. So it's conceivable that a sixth of that would come to Montgomery County. A sixth of 32 million is, 325 million is going to be, uh, pardon my math. It's That's okay. I have some numbers here if you want me to share them sure, with you. Sure, if you've got them, I'll take I them. I mean, I have, I have like the, the current amount of money that the state is looking to provide. If I do my reading right, because the numbers are small, looks as if we're, we're looking at a change of an additional 27 million coming in from the state. It's a 3.9% change. This is what the governor, I think, currently is proposing. So, and, so the, and at the county level, actually, the county council is only looking at a 0.7% increase. Okay, so, and that's where we also, I'd say, locally are having some issues. It's like the governor is willing to cough up more, it looks like, than right now the county council's willing to do. All right. So you said $27 million would be coming to Montgomery County? That's what I— What does $27 million buy you? <laughs> $27 million, you think about what that could mean in terms of additional support for mental health care, counseling services, the additional paraeducator support that students could have. You think about the issues we have with portable classrooms, and you, you know, some of this could be for you know capital improvements as well. I think we need both. So many classrooms are splitting at the seams. We certainly need to keep up with technology and advances there that our students need in order to be ready for the jobs that'll be there for them in the 21st century. But I'd say primarily, I know that our operating budget is over 90% personnel. Teachers are the essential ingredient to education. And so that's what the money will help us to buy. We have children, you know, you think we're growing at about 1,000 kids a year. That's the size of a middle school easily, right? So the money is probably, uh, we're still, we're not anywhere near with, with the additional funding getting at what we need. We're $2.9 billion short every year in the state. That's about almost $500 million short each year in Montgomery County to give kids what an independent study funded by the state determined was the funding needed for an adequate education for children. If I do the math right in my head, uh, 227 million would be about 250 teachers' salary and bennies, I would think. 
I'd have to look at the math myself, but you know, you're thinking usually your salaries and then another 30% for benefits, I'm right. thinking. You know, starting teacher salaries, what now? In the neighborhood of 50,000. Well, it'd be even more than 250 then. You mentioned before about the, the, the county budget. The budget currently is in the council's hands. It's been mm -hmm. delivered from Mark Elrich mm -hmm. to the council. When you say the council, actually it's, it's Elrich who has only Put proposed. it forward, that's true. But it is a 2.6 excuse me, $2.66 billion for the school mm -hmm. system. And according to uh, the press conference just yesterday with Jack Smith and Sheba Evans, it's $14.5 million short from the request. That's still 99-point-something right. percent of what the request was. How do you convince the people on the street that 99-point-something percent isn't enough, that you actually need 100 percent? Well, I would encourage them to take a walk through our schools. I think that what you need to see is that that doesn't really come close to closing that gap I was talking about between what is adequate and what has been budgeted. So, you know, really, we need more courageous action to have the wherewithal to fund what is needed. You know, I'm not a budget analyst. I am a teacher. And I, what I see is the need. And I am a taxpayer, too. And I, you know, I am willing to pay for what I know is going to benefit everyone, particularly our children, the next generation, uh, folks who will be productive citizens and, and workers and parents. I want to raise up the next generation to have what previous generations have had in terms of quality education in Montgomery County. It's been a hallmark of this county. I'm proud of our schools. And I think that uh, we have, need to regain that commitment to funding what has been, to me, the jewel in the crown of Montgomery County. Okay. Now is a good time to take a break, and I hate to split off this conversation about money because actually there's more money questions to ask. <laughs> but you're listening to Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tallman, senior reporter with MCM, and I'm speaking with Jennifer Martin, vice president of the Montgomery County Education Association. We'll be right back. MCM, your community media center, is making Montgomery County a great place to live through programs like 21 This Week. Montgomery County's hardest-hitting political talk show keeps you up to date with the local political scene. Montgomery Community Media. Our middle name is Community. And we're back. It's Montgomery Talks with Doug Tolman, and I'm speaking with Jennifer Martin, Vice President of the Montgomery County Education Association, talking about education in the county. We just did a fairly thorough discussion about dollars and cents, but what exactly does the county need? Oh, goodness. Well, it's this is... I think you pose the question right by saying, what does the county need? Because we think about this in terms of children only, but what benefits students in Montgomery County really has all kinds of spillover benefits to everybody who lives here or works here. So, you know, in terms of our schools, we need to invest in both the human capital, and that is the people who work there but and the children who are served there, but also the space that's where these services are provided. So it's a both-and kind of situation. We need both the capital expenditures as well as operating expense increases. I think parents will tell you their children do better in smaller classes. And so if we are able to increase a budget so that we're increasing the number of adults who are helping students, then that 
improves the quality of the education. It improves our ability to differentiate instruction, to accommodate kids' individual interests and needs. If we have the wraparound supports that really prepare children to be ready for the academic experience, whether that's food security, mental health care, those are things that oftentimes are provided on-site at schools. We're very much proponents of, as the Education Association and as educators, we have been proponents of the idea of community schools, where schools serve as the hub for not just students, but for families and communities to receive the supports that are needed for students to, to learn and to uh, live in a healthy environment that allows them to learn when they do come to school. Both my kids are out of school, but it seemed like every year we were dunned by the teachers and that we needed tissues and we needed mm -hmm. snack bags and we needed a lot of things that just don't seem to be education-centric not crayons or whatever, but of mm -hmm. course we sent those over as well. And I've often wondered whether parents in Maryland, or at least most parents, mm -hmm. would rather pay like $100 tuition and get that all taken care of by somebody else mm -hmm. rather than have to be the one who send their kids off with a box of uh, sandwich well, bags. Okay, well, I got a couple of things that you make me think about. One is what teachers are spending to pay for their children's needs. Right. You know, we're, uh, I mean, I, I routinely am providing food for children in my classroom, and they're, they're, I'm in high school level, but a lot of those kids, you know, have food security issues where I'm teaching. I know that, you know, we also are providing supplies routinely, and uh, there's been an acknowledgement of that, that teachers are spending hundreds if not thousands Certainly. of dollars per year on their students. And teachers... Whatever the, the public perception is, I don't think we're seen as being particularly highly paid. We make about 25% less than folks in other professions that require similar education. So um, that's the first thing that comes to mind is there are unmet needs in the school. But to talk about asking parents to pay the, a tuition for kids to go to public school, whether it's to pay for tissues or pencils uh, or whatever else, I have a problem with that because $100 to you might not be much, but to many of the students I teach, that is not money they have. Well, Their families don't have that. And the other thing is that, as I said earlier, everybody who lives in the county benefits from strong public schools, and we should have a shared commitment, whether we have children or not, because like you, mine are grown, we should have a shared commitment to contributing to the future generation. Someone contributed for us, and that was a benefit to us, and now it's our turn to pass that on. I'm not disagreeing. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking I am contributing through my taxes. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, there's all these extra things that, that, that are needed to have a classroom function. Mm -hmm. And one payment, say it's $100, and then you increase it 25% to cover the farm's families. And so that they pay nothing might not be a more efficient use of people's time and I think again I think it's a it's not just parents who should be paying to raise the children of Montgomery County because having children is a benefit to society mm -hmm. and we should all be contributing to their future so I think parents already are spending tremendous amounts of money to raise their children I don't think we need to increase that no, no doubt certainly I'm going to ask two questions but the first one is what does Montgomery County do right in the school uh -huh. system we hire some really phenomenal teachers, 
and educators across the system. I, I get out a lot in my current role as vice president, and I get to see the amazing things that folks are doing in classrooms across this county. I think that we have a real desire to meet the needs of all children here. Our superintendent certainly speaks of that. I think that that commitment predates his arrival. I think we've always had very high expectations for the children of this county, and we've had high expectations of the professionalism of the people who support those students. So I think that's something we have done right in, in the past, and I think that it's still our continued philosophy where we've lost some ground is in our, our willingness to put the money where it's needed to continue with that high standard. Well, I, Sure, you I, want me to be more specific? No, 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 no. I just sure. wanted to say, I probably mm -hmm. foreshadowed my second question. Okay. What does the county do wrong? Well, I think that the, the big answer is that we have, have not kept pace with the needs of our, our children and students as they've moved, you know, as the, as the demographics have changed and as society has changed. And so we have uh, really been cut to the bone in a lot of areas. I think I look at our classrooms where the class size has been increased in, in past years. We did make some moves to reduce class size in uh, the last two years or so. But honestly, with the burgeoning population of students coming in, we're always making our projections that are lag behind the growth. I think that there's a, tr a greater need now for mental health care and for the social-emotional learning. You look at the wider culture and some of the emerging ugliness of the intolerance and, and hate, uh, that, that uh, whether it's incidents or, or even crimes, uh, that there's been an increase of that in this county. Our students are feeling that. The world doesn't feel like as safe a place as I think it did for students 10 or 15 years ago. And we need to be addressing that. And I think schools are positioned in a special way to counterbalance some of that ugliness, the, the intolerance and the demonizing of the other. I think that we have an ability to build community, to build understanding, to build not just tolerance, but real appreciation for people who ha uh, come from different backgrounds or who have different experiences and cultures. Uh, I think Montgomery County actually, you know, when you talk about what do we do well, I think that's something that is really wonderful about Montgomery County. I think in a lot of ways we're a better place now than we were when I was growing up here, that we are much more interesting and there's a lot more vitality to the county because of all of this, uh, you know, the changes that have happened demographically here. One of the things that some people may say Montgomery County does wrong or may could do better is obviously the, the achievement gap. It's been discussed for at least 20 years, if not longer. And if Montgomery County can't solve the achievement gap, it seems like how can any other jurisdiction in Maryland think that it can uh, correct its own achievement gaps? So what should Montgomery County do to, to, to tighten the uh, the, the test scores among the different uh, constituent groups? Well, first of all, test scores, to me, that's a very uh, reductive way of thinking about education. But I will, I will grant your point. I just want to make sure that when I think of education, I want a child who, where that person is educated in a way to live fully, uh, to contribute fully, to reach their full potential, and test scores will never fully measure that. Don't disagree. But, um, Don't disagree. but I take your point that there is a gap. There is a learning uh, and an achievement gap. There's an opportunity gap. And 
you know, there's this uh, new state rating, the stars for uh, schools who achieve well. Well, uh, I saw a, uh, the results of a regression analysis that was done that showed that 80% of the difference in whether uh, in the star ratings was attributable to the income of the community the school served. So really, when we're talking about the achievement gap, there are issues that are related to race, but I would say the fundamental difference is about income. And until we, as a society, address that, we're always going to be struggling in the schools to counterbalance that problem. So when it comes to the test scores within the county and the racial achievement gap that does exist, once you correct for income, it is a very narrow gap. Um, uh, Janet Wilson, who is uh, works uh, with the uh, statistical analysis in Montgomery County Public Schools, I was just at a, an, a uh, presentation she gave recently that showed that that is where the real issue is, is, is in this poverty gap, and that we need to make sure that we're addressing that. What she showed is that Montgomery is the one place where you do not see the effect of having, if poor students are placed and, and minorities, poorer minority students are placed in a school that has higher income overall, there's usually some kind of a halo effect where those students have higher scores than students of similar background in a higher need school. There is no effect like that in Montgomery County because we're actually making a lot of effort in those high need schools to provide compensating supports. And so those kids are actually, you know, there, there is a high, a, a, there is none of, we don't have to worry that there's an effect that we're not trying to compensate for. I think it is a continuing struggle. We are paying attention to it. The union has been very active in helping educators understand cultural proficiency and recognizing our own biases and working beyond those. You know, we all have them. It's a question of recognizing and addressing them. And I am hopeful that we are doing the things we need to do to move the needle. Is it easy? No. I mean, if there were a magic wand, you know, we would have waved it a long time ago. This is a struggle that we as a society will always be making, I think, you know, to, to make sure that equity in opportunity is there for everyone. No, I'm just wondering whether I have, uh, you know, gone on, whether I answered your question adequately. It is a problem that I think is on the hearts and minds of every educator in this county. I don't know anyone who doesn't care about it. I think the solutions are difficult, and they sometimes lie beyond the capacity of the, the classroom teacher to fully address. I think we have to do our best always to be trying to, to close, close those opportunity gaps, to, to treat our children with dignity and with high expectations. Since you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. Could you give a letter grade to how Jack Smith is doing so far? <laughs> no, I don't. I, I think grades are overrated. <laughs> I won't care. I won't grade him. Ooh. I will say, well, seriously, I think that it's more important to talk about it qualitatively. Uh, grades are shorthand, and I'd rather talk about him more specifically. Nice. I mean, I've, do you have I, a message to your students right now about how <laughs> their grades aren't important? I, I tell my children, actually, I tell my students that routinely. I think that grades cause a lot of students end up valuing the wrong thing. What grade did I get? Not what did I learn. 
I say focus on the learning and the grades will follow. Okay? okay. I, I tell my students that actually I get letters of thanks from my students telling me that, you know, they, they were so grateful that I, that I was um, a countercultural message to them and they appreciated it, you know, and they've gone on to success. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I don't like to grade people. I do it as a, it's a requirement of my job, but I don't like grades. Well, I think Dr. Smith comes with very good intentions for, for our, our students. I have heard him say that he believes in, that, uh, you know, the teacher the, in the classroom is the person who has uh, the most influence and who really matters in reaching students. So I appreciate that he respects the work that teachers do. We as an association have been very worried. Our, we hear from educators about the reliance on testing and uh, as a way of looking at education. It, to, as I, I think I used this word earlier, to me it's very reductive to always be looking at math and reading scores, that there is much more to education. And I think that it's, um, while those are quick markers, I think that we've spent an awful lot of time capturing zeros and ones about kids without really knowing who that person is that I'm trying to educate. Who is that child? And they can't be reduced to math and reading scores. And we spend a lot of time capturing that data and looking at the data when I want to be looking at my students and interacting with my students. So I think that's where there has been a, a difference of opinion about the emphasis, but I think the desire to serve our, our students well, I believe that, that Dr. Smith is really trying to do that. You know, and I think that the other thing that's been hard for us as a union is I think we were used to a more collaborative experience of our association and our members being asked to participate in the formulation of new policies and procedures and programs. And it's been a shift, I think, in how that's been happening. A lot of the systems that we have in place were built before the superintendent came here, and there may not be the buy-in for that collaboration that there used to be. And when you say used to be, you're talking about STAR and WIES? I would say yes. I mean, my experience in the system was that we built, for instance, the Peer Assistance and Review Program, which is a way of, of supporting and evaluating educators. That's been a very important part of our shared commitment. The, the union was an advocate for making sure that teachers were held to high standards and that we helped to create those standards, that there was buy-in and that no teacher wants a bad teacher working next door to them because it makes your job harder. You want to have standards and, and high quality for your colleagues as well as for your own practice. And so that's a place where we built that with the school system and the unions working together. I think there's been less of that under his administration. But I do believe his intentions are good, and I, th and I think that his focus on the opportunity and achievement gaps is a legitimate place to put attention. All right. We've been kind of gone over our time. <laughs> and I think uh, thank you very much for your conversation today. I've, uh, I've learned quite a bit. This is Doug Tolman. I'm the senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. I've been speaking with Jennifer Martin, the vice president of the Montgomery County Education Association. Don't miss the other podcasts in the Montgomery Talks Education MCPS 2020 series featuring Superintendent Jack Smith and Montgomery County Parent Teacher Association Vice President Laura Stewart. Join us next time on Montgomery Talks. Thank you.